Welcome to Navigating Life as We Know It. This is Alex, usually producer, but today host of a special episode of our show. The beginning of a mini-series we are calling Navigating Life with Liam. A series that will focus on key events that happened 32 years ago that are nicknamed our Adventures in Disability Life. We felt like it was important to share these stories because of the overwhelming and somewhat crushing isolation that often comes with this journey that we all have to take. We want you to know that you're not alone, and we want to give you a glimpse of what it was like for our own family. Thank you for tuning in, and let's dive into the interview. Thank you for tuning in to Navigating Life as We Know It. It is Alex, producer here, taking the job as host for our first of our Navigating Life with Liam sessions. This is kind of a background about our own journey, and specifically Stephen Carey's journey through the wonderful world of disability rights with Liam. Uh, is that a good way of describing That's it? That's a pretty good way. D- disability rights? Well, everything. Well, yeah. Disability life. Disability, disability life. life. I like that. Much better. So we're here to talk about the adventures in disability life of Steve and Carrie and Liam and, well, the whole family together. So first off, um, people, of course, know, if you listen to the podcast, you've heard all of us talking at some point or other, but I would like to get a bit of a background on both of you, please. Tell me a bit about yourselves. I know this is weird coming from your youngest child, but (laughs) pretend that I am some mysterious person interviewing you in a studio that isn't built into your own home. (laughs) Okay. Shall I go first? How about let's make it really simple. How did you guys meet? How did we meet? Okay. That was interesting. We both had uh, been coming off of a uh, previous practice marriage. And uh, Carrie had been married for seven years, and I had been married for 10 years, and this is back in 1983. And we went to, um, not, we didn't know each other, we met at a Catholic retreat for people who have either lost uh, a spouse through death or divorce. And um, I, I have to... the beginning experience. Right. I have got to interject here for a second. I need to know, how did you... The guy who comes from the Arch Lutheran line end up at a Catholic retreat. I was seeing a therapist at the time helping me deal with all this, and uh, they just happened to have a brochure and said, oh, by the way, there's this thing tonight, you might want to go to it. Uh, they had heard many good things about the beginning experience, and I thought, not tonight, it was coming up. And I said, well, yeah, sure, that, that sounds good. And um, I didn't, uh, I, I was not a hardened Lutheran. I would grow, grow up Lutheran, but... That, was, I, I, I've heard stories about how you card and the carrying, other... Card-carrying Lutheran. You and the other kids at the Lutheran school used to make fun of the kids who went to the Catholic school. That's I when mean, I was eight years old. Okay? Yes. At well, this point, I'm formative, over 30. Formative experiences being what they are. Right, right, right. <laughs> I ended up there from a total and complete hardcore, full-court press... Irish Catholic guilt mother. Yes. And she I... said, you will attend this event. I tried any number of ways to evade and get out of it to no avail. 
Didn't I she crank have. some like prophecy on you too with that? She did not at that time. Oh, okay. thank God. But she just said, "No, no, you will go." There was a family function. This is what blew my mind. There was a family function that was going to be happening. We found out later on that I found out was that same weekend. I was like, "Well, there you go. I can't go." And she's like, "Oh no, you are excused from the family event." Now, people might be wondering exactly what it takes to earn that kind of an excusal from a family event. This is the only recorded chance of that ever happening. As far as I know. There is no pretense no. for it. There is no, nothing, nothing was the basis of, oh, you can get out of a family event? No. No. That didn't no, happen. No, no, This was, you know, I've heard of acts of God mm-hmm. and I didn't believe them. I do now. You never got out of a family event. Right. And th- th- Nana gave you... Special dispensation. Okay. No. <laughs> it was orders. Okay. Direct you know, orders. I had exit orders. I had my mission. I was given my assignment. There was no backing out. So away I went. Okay. So now we know how you both <laughs> got to this location. Continue on. Well, I walked in late. Everybody else was there already. And that um, was I the, had to stop to the bring settings some, that set forth well, the rules of time. You had to bring something <laughs> with, okay, something to share. So I had to stop at a grocery store and pick up some donuts or something. I don't know what No, it was. he made brownies, just saying. <clears throat> okay, well, anyway, I walk in <laughs> and I look around and I could see at the time, let's figure, I am 30, 31 <laughs> years old. <laughs> 31 years old, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> The average age in the room was probably more around 55 to 60. Yes, except it was. For, except for I noticed one cute, curly-haired young lady with dark brown hair sitting in the room. And I thought, I haven't sat down yet. I haven't registered yet. And I thought, hmm, okay. And then we also, we, we each had a butterfly name tag that you had to wear. And my name tag was, I believe, yellow. It was green. Green? Okay. He's so observant, people. <laughs> uh, it was green. And I look around and I see that, oh, that cute little girl with the curly hair has a green name tag on, too. <laughs> that was your group. That was the group we are going to meet in, okay? All and the greens went over here, blah, 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 blah. Now, I want to pull a little prophecy here. Um, I have not usually been gifted with prophecy in my life, but when I saw her, I heard one thing in my mind. You're going to marry her. And the funny thing is, I told her later about that, and she said, I would have run out of the room if I had heard that. <laughs> I said, well, I'm good. I didn't, I'm glad I didn't oh, say that. Yes. But, but oh, I, yes. But I somehow knew that I was there for this reason, and I'm meeting this person. And it made me very, very nervous because I was coming from a position of very low self-esteem at that point. I suddenly became the custodial father of three children. One of them was... Nine or eleven years old, nine years old, Holly. Nine, whatever. Yeah, nine, and then uh, three and four, and so there was this. I was doing a lot of stuff, and I felt that I had been dumped, and I didn't feel very worthy. But all of a sudden, there's this gorgeous female there, and and I thought, hmm, okay, well, it could happen, and I'm going <laughs> to marry her. <laughs> well, like I said, I was smart enough to keep my mouth shut. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What's your side of this? Uh, good thing he didn't say anything. <laughs> the door was locked. She couldn't get out. I was, yeah. Oh, oh, my gosh. And we were heavily chaperoned. Did I mention this was a Catholic function? Oh, there were chaperones. Matter of fact, we were chatting afterwards after this. 
opening session, <laughs> and we were told at one point, <clears throat> it's rather late. We should go to bed now. <laughs> it's like, whoa. Okay, 30, 20, meh, meh, meh. We don't, we don't speak of said we numbers. And, you know, really? My mother made me come to this. It's okay. <laughs> but anyway, so we behaved ourselves. And by the end of this weekend, uh, this this group that I was in knew more about my life and my divorce than anyone in my family. And um, it was a very wonderful, fabulous experience. And we already had a wonderful basis for a friendship. And I totally blew him out of the water because he, we met afterwards, this, our little group met afterwards at a place we thought we'd go to have brunch. And um, he asked me out and I had to tell him no. And he was, the look on his face, he was devastated. He was crushed. He was like, I was like, oh my God, I can't do this to another human being. Oh my God, I felt so bad. But it's the pity what, play. What happened was that the next weekend, that was my father's 60th birthday party. People, I am one of 11 children, Irish Catholic family. A 60th birthday party is not a small thing. This was not just my siblings. This was aunts and uncles and cousins and things and such. And as an example, when my when we get together for like our annual Christmas party, which won't be happening this year, unfortunately. Thank you, 2020. Yeah. Um. But uh, we when we do. Uh, we have recently settled on renting out a VFW hall, and we yes. pretty much fill a good sized chunk of the room with people. Because we're all that close. And that's usually just your siblings and their children and children's children still, yes. with a couple of ancillary outsides coming in. This would be those people plus more showing yes. up yeah. at a house, right? Was it a house? Oh, yes. Yes. Knowing them, it was at their house. So. It was It was at a house. And I thought, do I want to do this to this man for a first date? Trial by Didn't fire. you? And then I said, sink or swim, man, come. I, I felt so bad. He was devastated. I said, this is why I can't go out on a date with you. It's my father's birthday celebration. If you would like to come with, you may. And I thought, if he burns, crash and burn, have at it. That's, Otherwise, Then they didn't pass the test. And just, just as an FYI, when introducing individuals to the family in the past i describe it rather accurately as i've been told as you're stepping into a kiln basically because the heat's just going to be cranked all the way to 500 get ready you're gonna get grilled oh yes oh yes everybody is going to take a pass at you while you're there because why not mm -hmm. <laughs> this new person's here oh goody let's find out what makes them tick mm -hmm. <laughs> or as some of my brothers would put it what are your intentions in regards to my sister? Knowing the kind of teddy bears that we have in the family, I love the aspect that, yes, I could see it being intimidating, but it's also it's very much from a position of... From the inside, it's amusing. Yes. But from the outside, they can be rather overbearing. And somewhat terrifying. I mean, I can yeah. imagine Tim being a truly terrifying presence in the yes. right circumstances. He can. He, can port he did portray yes. that. 
Good portrait. So, so h- how was the birthday? It was really um, very heavily populated. <laughs> I have one brother, a mother and father. It's kind of like Ozzy and Harriet. And um, what are the kids' name? Boy, oh boy. I will what tell you this all right now. The Christmas difference is shocking. It has always been shocking okay. growing up. But, okay. And, and you, uh, it was very crowded. It was very loud. It was very boisterous. But I did see an awful lot of interactions. And I came from a small family. But I saw a lot of people very animated, expressing love just in their faces by the way they're talking to each other. And I found that very attractive. You know, at the at the beginning experience, the one thing we had to do, if you didn't already check your um, your vulnerability at the door, you had to you had to basically or not check the vulnerability. If you didn't check your defensiveness at the door, uh, they took it away from you because you became very vulnerable in order to share. Um, and so I was at, at the point already where I'm ready for something new here, and we'll just see what it is. And I didn't have any preconceived notions about it, but I found it they were very nice people. However, it was interesting that one individual, one of her brothers, came up to me, put his face right into my face and said, when she says go, leave. And I'm thinking, well, we just got here just a few minutes ago and it didn't seem appropriate. And he was, I mean, he was very insistent. It turns out that she had been dating somebody who was kind of like a, more like a stalker. And and he was just trying to be defensive, and I I asked her about it later on, and she got all embarrassed about it. <laughs> but it, I mean, that's it. The thing is that we have brothers and sisters from a large family that each have each other's backs for the most part. It's not to say they didn't have issues with each other, but it really came down to it. Um, they were going to stand together, and I found that great. It's wonderful. I loved it. So um, we could go on for a long time. I've heard tons of stories in the intervening and the in another session, and that 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 is a truly truly full of foibles and hilarity and and the occasional weirdness and apparently running away from a door at one point in time, if I remember correctly from the stories that I've been told over the years. First but, kiss, yes, first okay. kiss. I remember that. That was my favorite one. Um, anyway. Looping around, of course, obviously, and quite clearly, you guys get married. Tell me about what the pregnancy was like when you guys found out about Liam and Nicholas. Let's let's back up one thing and Mm -hmm. realize that she married me and three children. Yes, true. I married her with no children. Mm -hmm. So when, um, when we found out that she was expecting and found out it was twins, um... I got to admit, I was excited, but at first the predominant uh, emotion was fear because I've got three plus two is five. I come from one brother. This is starting to seem a little bit crowded, and I wasn't sure financially we could handle it. But then I realized the interesting thing is my father, my mother's my mother's father, my paternal maternal grandparents, uh, my grandfather is a twin, born 1895. And so that was kind of a cool thing. I don't know there was other twins in the family, but right away I thought, well, that, that could be a factor. But it turns like every other pregnancy in your family was a twin. <laughs> yeah. It, wasn't there a case study on that at one point with I, the birds? I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> Point is, twins are utterly lousy on one side of the family all the time. You're getting twins like crazy. Not all identical, but several identical, but fraternal twins. Right. So, yeah, and um, 
you know, things are progressing rather well, except that um, it turns out that uh, one. Okay, set- my interjection is this: okay. he was he 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 had some concerns. Oh hell no! The man got pasty white when I told him it was going to be two. Okay, <laughs> freaked out. And was like shaking in a corner. You should add that the Irish like to embellish stories quite a bit. Pasty white. Okay. <laughs> and yet I find so much honesty in her words. <laughs> so anyway, one here? Okay. for a penny and for a pound, baby. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, well, some problems developed though, and uh, well, it was a, it was a typical pregnancy um, uh, up until six months. Um, Steve had a away event through his work, and I checked with my doctors to see if that would be appropriate to attend. And he said, "Yeah." It was very, very, very wordy, man. Um, you were concerned at this point already, right? No, no, no. Um, not till we got back. Uh, his big thing was this: doctor kept saying um, that. He had some concerns about uh, a twin pregnancy and that that was a high-risk thing. I didn't understand that. Coming from one of 11, I have I have very fertile sisters. You know, half the time, if you swap spit, you're pregnant. It's, th- this is just how it works in our mm-hmm. world. And so I didn't understand this high-risk business. Because also a few of them had twins, too. Not until after me. Really? I thought Sean... Um... Didn't Sean have twins? No, Sean did not have twins. No. All her boys had twins. Oh, yes. All her boys had twins. All of her she children didn't have had twins. twins. Yes, yes. She had three all sons. All three of them had <laughs> twins. So, yeah, she didn't, okay. but they did. So I, That's surprise. I actually didn't realize that none of them had, had twins before you. Right. Hmm. Right. See, even I'm learning things here today. Well, no. Uh, did Gigi have hers? No. No, because mm-hmm. even Gigi, my younger sister, had twins after me. Just, but yeah. Hmm? Okay. Yeah. So I was the first one in my family to have twins. Um, you started it. I started it. Right, right, right. Sure. Of course I would. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we went to this event. It was really, I, I, I did not exert. I didn't do anything. You know, we rode in the car for two hours. It was a lovely you know, uh, conference resort, blah, blah. I slept, took naps, whatever. Came home and I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't feel correct. I just felt like I had the flu. I called my mom. She was a nurse Mm -hmm. and said, you know, I'm just not feeling right. I'm this, that, and the other thing. She's like, oh my God, would you just go to the hospital? Just right now, stop. Just go to the hospital. I did. At which point they told me that I was in labor. There was nothing they could do to stop the labor. They couldn't stop it. And I was giving birth to my twins at six months. 24 weeks and there they were now when you found out about that what went through your head well i was there when it was all happening Mm -hmm. and i'm the one that drove her to the hospital but um i'm panicked well first of all we didn't know you were going to be in labor we're just going to the hospital to check this out right um so when we get there and, and we hear that it's like oh my god there must be some mistake I had no idea what the complications could be or would be. Um, I didn't know. I, I guess they figured if she's going into pregnancy, everything, and uh, into labor, that everything would be okay. 
I, I mean, I was really a novice. I was a dad three times, but there never was any complications. So I just thought that's pretty dumb, basically. So I, I didn't know. But then we, uh, we began to hear they, they medevaced them out in a helicopter to Children's Memorial Hospital um, within several hours after the birth. Uh, and the doctors did not look very confident. They looked very concerned. And uh, that begins to freak you out because all you're doing is you're looking for facial expressions. There weren't any smiles. There weren't any encouraging words. And they said that there's uh, he's very sick. And we can hear Liam in the background right yes, now. Liam he has is, woken yeah. up and has decided that he is probably going to go raid the refrigerator. Could be, um, yeah. Which is a favorite pastime of our uh, lovely... Lord Liam. Lord Liam, yes. So, and, and they were they were born at uh, a little over two pounds, two pounds and a few ounces uh-huh. each, which was yeah. pretty good for six months. So moving through this part, I want to talk to you about some before we go further into uh, the different problems that we face right away. I would like you to tell me, did you feel like you were getting um, clear information during this? Not at all. So you didn't feel like you had any decent communication? Oh, heck no. And then we were we were separated. He was not in the delivery room. I was in this room by myself with all these people I did not know. Um, and this, this was happening, and I did not want it to happen. I wanted it to stop. I wanted this to... And so, no. Um, not had, very clear information at all. You had A no lot one of there with you. Hmm? You had no one there with you. Nobody, nobody on my team. Mm-hmm. My mom, my mom did come to the hospital, but she wasn't allowed in there. She was with. Was, did she? Did you see my mom? No. You didn't see my mom. I can't recall. I, I okay. I don't believe I'm, that she was there. Is a level of PTSD that probably exists with this particular incident. It so. was like your my brain had just been put into a wearing blender. I, yeah, I, I didn't know what was going. on. I didn't know what to think. I didn't know what to do. I was powerless, totally powerless to stop or alter the events. We we're just sliding down the hill, and I couldn't change it. Right. I couldn't steer it. I couldn't do anything about it. Exactly. That's hmm. exactly it. I'm. Very, very certain that that is a feeling that others have definitely felt along with you. Okay. I'm. I didn't know that you were completely alone for all that. Yeah, that's really I'm, definitely I'm, my first pregnancy. No idea what to expect. No understanding of what was going on with me or my body or how this was affecting either baby, because basically, Nicholas Liam was first born. Nicholas was second. Nicholas ended up going through two labors because he mm-hmm. went through Liam's and then his own. And then there was a 20-minute delay between A and B, mm-hmm. which was some concern. Again, I didn't know about this until much later. And then comparing stories with other people who have had twins, usually they're like one or two minutes apart, not 20. Mm-hmm. That's that To me, that was all, what? So our, our medical education began after that, <laughs> um, because you begin to hear all kinds of stuff, and, and uh, you hear it, and you don't really c- perceive what you're hearing because of the stress factor. And sometimes the doctors have to tell us two or three times, at least me, two or three times, because I'm uh, just in a daze. You're shell-shocked. Understand. No, I, yeah. It, it's, uh, I knew nothing was good about this. We didn't know how bad it could be. So we're going to take a really quick break here, and we're going to get back and uh, get into the how bad it actually was portion of this uh, 
interview. So we'll be right back. Thank you for tuning in to Navigating Life as We Know It. This is Alex, your producer, and for this episode, your host, coming at you live with your mid-break announcements. First off, thank you to everyone who has helped us to get where we are today, our people who have offered us beta listening, the folks who have let us interview them, everybody. You have been phenomenally helpful. And most importantly, our listeners. Every time we have engaged with you, it has helped us make our show better. So, if you have any suggestions, comments, or would like to hear about a certain topic, reach out to us on Facebook right away and let us know what you think, and we will be certain to respond to you. We'd also like to announce that, as requested, someone reached out and wanted to know more about the way Social Security works when it comes to benefits with SSDI. We have gotten a hold of people with Social Security, and we will be bringing you a two-episode breakdown of that that we hope will be an enjoyable experience for everybody and wildly informative. That will be coming as part of our second season, but we wanted you to know it is on its way. On the production staff side, we would like to also congratulate our host, Steve, for being named the recipient of the 2020 David D. Smith Humanitarian Award issued by the American Institute of Architects of Grand Rapids. So congratulations, Steve. And if anyone hasn't heard his phenomenal uh, acceptance interview, head to our Facebook page. We do have it posted there. Well, I'm not going to get in your way much longer, so we'll let you get back to your listening experience. Thank you so much for tuning into Navigating Life as You Know It. Please feel free to join us on Facebook, or uh, even if you feel like supporting us, go to our Patreon. We've got a couple of different levels you can help us out with, and we'd be more than happy for your support. Have a wonderful listening experience, and I'll let you get back to the rest of the show. Okay, so we are coming back, and um, we are going to dig into uh, how bad it actually was. So they were airlifted to Children's Memorial. Um, Liam was uh, intubated, and um, they only the uh, hospital that we delivered at they only had one, and so Nicholas had to be manually intubated. So somebody actually had to be with him the whole time and squeeze the ball in order to, or the, the, whatever, the bag to make him have air in his lungs. Okay. Um, So already we're second disadvantage for poor Nikki. Yeah. Um, They go, and so they're they're at Children's Memorial Hospital now. Um, I delivered in a south suburb of Chicago, so that's very far away. Mm -hmm. I have... Children's on the north side of Chicago. Yep. So I have delivered two babies. I have nothing to show for that. I have no babies in my arms. I did not really get to see them, other than briefly right after birth, and off they went. So I don't even know what they look like. Steve, did you go? Did you go to Children's then? No, no. I, you just I went checked, home. Rested. I checked you out. I checked you out. Of well, the you rested, and then the next day you got me because they would not let me leave right then. They didn't. No. Okay. No, no. I had to at least stay overnight. So you went home, and I think you napped. I probably. Well, okay. I don't recall. Yeah, napped is everything. You probably crashed. Crashed. Yeah, yeah. you don't really came back. The anxiety's so high, you don't sleep. You to, just kind of crashed to get me. 
from Hospital A directly to Children's Memorial Hospital because I was sure as hell wasn't going anywhere else. It's about an hour and a half drive with traffic. Don't care. Now, a question to throw in here is, as you've mentioned, you had three other children. Yes. Um, At this time, those three kids were with um, your mom, grandma, right? Right. Yeah. And so that had to be a fun thing to set up because I know you mentioned to me a long time ago that um, you had to tell her kind of what was happening and you didn't really know how to do that. What was that experience like for you? Well, um, again, it's kind of hard to remember. I can conjecture what my, my experience was. I'm, I'm sure that I was kind of a wreck and, you know, uh, my mother is your grandmother. You realize that she was a very empathic person. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you were not smiling, she was in pain. Yeah. Um, I don't, I, she saw the severity of the situation and she was very concerned. Um, I was not able to, um, other than inform her to be able to give her any comfort because I didn't have any yourself. We didn't have I, the whole I story yet either. Yeah. I didn't, right. We had no story. We didn't right. have any of the whole story. We had nothing really at that point. Right. We had no idea what to expect. So no. uh, she takes care of them. I don't believe we had said anything to them at that time because we're talking about, you know, five and six and 11 at that point, I think they were. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, they knew that the babies were born. They knew there were some problems, and that's the extent of it. And then um, we drove up there and... Um, began to get uh, our formal education. Okay. Um, you, what was it like kind of explaining, you know, talking with well, your mother, Nana, already being medically minded and stuff, and from my memories of her, at least, a rather formidable force of nature in her own right? Indeed. Um, you know, it's... it's I, 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 it, it, a lot of it is again very much a blur. I was I was segregated. Mm-hmm. I felt like um, I did the birthing and then I was left, and the babies went to the hospital, and I just basically was waiting for Steve to come and get me out of this place because they wouldn't let me drive on my own, mm-hmm. um, so that we could go and find out what what the heck was going on. I didn't even really have any for sure answers or anything at this point. So it wasn't until we actually got to Children's Hospital that we learned anything for me to then be able to talk to my mom again my mom is a nurse and so i could talk to her about you know those of this those you that, could give this, her this, jargon she got the jargon mm-hmm. and we could talk about it and sometimes i would have to say to her i need you to talk to me as my mom because i could see that she was in nurse mode i don't want nurse mode i want my mom Mm-hmm. Because I need to understand this with what I'm feeling, and she she could she could go in between these two uh, personas, if you will, um, because she could be nurse uh, nurse Nora, nurse in charge, and you know blah 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 blah, take care of everything. Uh, but it, you know, and then I would say, but my mother's heart is saying this, and my mother's heart says this, and she could hear me then. So I would have to tell her to switch hats. Mm-hmm. Um, I need my mom now. I don't need my nurse. I need my mom. And how do I do this? And how do I get through this? And da da da. But a lot of it was just a matter of I knew that I just needed to be at the hospital where the babies were so that I could find out everything that was going on and I could manage that. Okay. That was my goal. So we get to Children's Hospital. This is about how long after the birth? I, it was the next day. So, so 
24 hours? 24, later? 36. Well, I think it was the next morning. I don't think it was 24 okay, hours. So no. even less than that. So probably 12 <laughs> to 24 hours. Yes, yeah, 12 to 24 hours. So we're still within the first full day. We are now an hour and a half across the entire city of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And we are still have no clue what's actually going on the outside of, of right. a few fractured, jargon-filled statements you probably received along the way. Right. Okay. So you get to child, Children's Memorial. Tell me about that. So we had to go to the neonatal unit, which is a, a particular floor uh, and protocol for preemies uh, that have... Um, uh, a lot of issues going on, which I didn't know. So we had to scrub up and gown up in order to even walk in the room where my babies were. And one was, they were in these, uh, they call them Ohio beds. And basically what that is, is that looks like a um, oversized um, shoebox with a clear plastic lid. And maybe it's... um 18 inches by 18 inches. These 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 babies that are the size of my hand from my wrist to my fingertip. I took a picture because nobody would believe me of my hand next to him. Um, is in this and there's wires and there's tubes and there's things and there's monitors and Ventilators. there's baby A and baby B. And it was... Very overwhelming. Very overwhelming. The nursing staff there was superb. They were phenomenal. They are angels on earth. Indeed, indeed. Um, answered all of my questions. They were very supportive of us, um, encouraging us, um, allowing us to do as much touching as we were able. At the beginning, it was a little bit less, but then it was a matter of, you know, we could put our hands in and at least at least touch their hands and feet. Um, but we could not pick them up. No, no holding. No holding these babies. That had to be difficult. Very, extremely Irish, touchy-feely family. No touchy, no feely. <laughs> I remember being three and having someone say, do you want to hold a baby? I mean... <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, this is this is just what we, we do. We hug, we touch, we kiss, we all of it. You know, and and you know, Steve and I were also very much uh, uh, proponents of that. That's a big part of our life is touching each other and holding hands. And you know, this is this is how I express myself. And mm-hmm. not being able to was very disconcerting. And um, on top of being powerless, yeah. And and uh, clueless as to what the options are, or what what direction this is heading, you can't even comfort your child. Yeah. Um, so that it was that was a uh, wow. It was very uh, disempowering, very um, overwhelming, overwhelming. Um, really hard to understand what was going on and why it was happening. I want to drill down on that for a second with you specifically. Okay. Um, I know that with masculinity, with the, the, the man's role in a lot of stuff, you give him the talk about the protector, the, the person who's supposed to be there, who's supposed to bring stability, understand, things like that. What would that do for you in that time when you didn't have any answers and were being dragged around? You didn't have that power. I, I do want to say I think that's a role that people assume. It I, is. I think that in today's jargon, um, I wouldn't say that it's the man's job to just 
There's a psychological. There is a psychological, maybe evolutionary thing about that. We feel like we're supposed to to kill the meat and drag it home and and cook it on the fire Mm -hmm. and make sure that the family is okay. We're the protectors, right? Yeah, providers. Well, protector and provider. Okay, and it 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 works just as well the opposite way sometimes. Well, for example, there's a biological imperative aspect. It's it's built in to be defensive of your children, to want to be there for them. We all have it. And then to add on top of it, the societal constructs that we have. Tell me about your experience with that period of time. I know it's hard because, like I said, there's a PTSD aspect there, but. I've never had someone kidnapped in my family. And I've actually can't think of anybody I know that did. But that's a situation of feeling totally powerless because the fate is in the hands of other individuals. And I felt like our babies had been kidnapped. Because we couldn't do anything other than ask questions, sometimes dumb questions, two or three times. And the doctors and nurses were very patient with us because they would answer the question, the same question again and again. Because I think it's not their first rodeo with parents that are in over their heads. But um, to not be able to affect change and protect your child is probably the hardest thing I've ever had experience. Because there was there was nothing I wouldn't have done. I remember asking at one point, because Nicholas's problem was his lungs were immature. He could not oxygenate his blood. And so they had him on a high level of oxygen. and, um, and Pressure. Uh, pressure ventilator to keep his lungs open. Right. And it would sometimes cause damage. They'd blow a pneumothorax or whatever they called mm-hmm. it. And they'd have to put another tube in his chest because the lungs are collapsing. And it kept getting worse and worse as we go along, uh, as the weeks went along. But um, there was, I remember asking the doctor two dumb questions. I mean, in, in retrospect, but they were very gracious. I said, could I oxygenate his blood? Can you hook it up to me? Could it circulate through me first and go to him? I thought it was a great idea, <laughs> you know, but no, we can't do that. I said, can you take part of my lung and transplant it? No, we can't do that. Okay. Those are the only two things I thought that I could do with my body to be able to offer something for, for him to live. Which being as I am your child and have known you for, you know, 30 years. I give years, you a lung too. I also <laughs> am not even surprised by that approach because it's very much you've always been the kind of person that you know when worse comes to worse your first response is what what do i need to do whatever it is tell me if i will help someone if it will protect someone if it will be there I, let's go ahead yeah so right. yeah. and so that's that's kind of what happened and i mean not in the first day in the hospital obviously mm-hmm. uh but as the weeks in as the days went by, uh, we started getting phone calls in the middle of the night, and uh, they were generally along the lines of, come down here right now, we don't think he'll make it through to the morning. And so we would be driving at 3 o'clock in the morning, I'd call my mom, you know, take care of the kids. We'd be driving down there and expecting to get there and say that he's passing away. And every time, by the time we got there, they said, well, he started rallying again, and we're happy. And we would stay there for most of the day. And and actually, what's amazing about this, he was in the hospital for 30 days before he passed away. We were there every day. Mm-hmm. And I continued to work. And I don't know why, 
probably the dumbest thing I ever did, but it probably kept my mind off of something for a while, but I don't think I could have been too effective. <laughs> but we still drove that as a three-hour round trip, just about, and especially if you're in the kind of traffic. As you know, Chicago, mm-hmm. it's like New York or Los Angeles. It, it, it could be five miles, but it could be an hour, you know? Um, so we were driving back and forth, and, and uh, at least a dozen times we got that call in the middle of the night. We don't think he's going to make it. Uh, because, you know, this his oxygen levels and heartbeat and it would go up and it would go down. It would get very scary. It would go back up. He was fighting to stay alive, we believe, because we were fighting for him to stay alive. And from some kind of a spiritual sense, I do believe that you can communicate on that level. And he would not give up because we would not give up. Mm-hmm. Um We'll we'll dig more into that with our next episode, but um, we've talked a bit about Nicholas right now. We know that he had the lungs weren't uh, were immature, not developed. Yep. Uh, what was going on with Liam? Uh, Mr. Liam, Mr. Liam extubated himself on the helicopter ride from Hospital A to Hospital B. Newborn child what knew how to pull the thing is, out of his throat. What that means is he had this tube going down his throat into his lungs to keep his lungs open. He ripped it out as a two-pound baby. This sets the theme for the last 32 years of his life, by the way. Yes. Still ripping it out. Yes. Still, he is one of the most ornery individuals I have in my life ever met, and I've worked in sales. And you're so proud of him. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. I'm proud of every time someone calls me or reaches to me and says, you are right, he really is nefarious, and I'm like, you have no idea. No, you don't even know. You don't even know. So, he extubated so, himself in on the, the helicopter. helicter. In the helicopter. He extubated <laughs> Recently himself. born, two pounds, mm-hmm. just done with this tube. <laughs> yeah, get it out. Liam Boom. didn't have a lung issue whatsoever, and he was the first born of the two, and it's probably why he didn't have the lung issue. But he did have um, an issue inside of his head. He started having intracranial bleeds, um, which caused hydrocephalus, which basically means that there's hydrocephalus is water in the brain, but basically he had blood in his head because parts of his brain had ruptured and we found out later had basically died. Um, And so they had to put a shunt in his head to draw that fluid out so that his head would not get very, very large. And, you know, the bones are not connected yet, so there wasn't a, a huge issue at first, but now we see he's got tubes out of his, coming out of his head too, and um, that is not easy sight to see. No, no, oh, no, no, not at all, not at all. And then he developed. Um, a, um, oh my gosh, it's a it's a three yard long word, um, and I I can't remember it exactly. Necra, blah 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 blah. Oh, Basically, yeah. what was happening was um, he had a perforation in the bowel, and parts of his um, intestines were dying. And so that was an emergency. Get here. He he may not make it. We have to do surgery right now. Give us your verbal auth and try to make it before he's dead. They don't say it quite that way, but that's basically what it was. And so he then had a um, uh, 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 external 
Um, like an ileostomy. Yeah, he had an ileostomy, which was uh, a bag on the outside that would collect the excrement because mm-hmm. it couldn't handle it inside. Yeah. And it wasn't reconnected. But that was going to be supposedly going to be just a short-term thing. And once he got a little healthier, infection dissolved and resolved itself, then they would reattach everything and potentially he could be fine. We don't know for sure. It could happen. Blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So... He's on oxygen. They can't wean him off it because every time they try to take him off the oxygen, his sats drop like a rock. So they got to keep him on it. He is constantly extubating himself. Um, He has these weird infections that they can't figure out. And then they finally see bubbles. Um, He did everything such a weird way. Um, At one point, they wanted to do a spinal tap. And um, I said, okay, uh, and we have to authorize all of this. We have mm-hmm. to sign these papers. Okay. Uh, may I add I here would... that every time you went into a life or death surgery, I had to sign the paperwork. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you'd say, well, what happens if we end the surgery? He will die. What are his chances? Not really good. Okay, sign here. Um, that's really hard to do. Yeah, a lot of dancing with the devil. There's a psychological grind at that. And then you're not just dealing with it on one front. You have Nicholas and the lung issues and the oxygen issues. You have Liam and you have the bowel issues, the brain issues, the oxygen issues. You're literally fighting two battles against... Attrition. It's it's a grinding on your everything. Yeah, right. It was hard. Right. So that's that that's yeah. I can not even begin to imagine I have been through a good chunk of some nasty stuff with Liam throughout my life. Uh but that's that's so I had a saving grace and that Nana could translate for me. That is nice to have. You know, so they were but we had this one Children's Hospital is a teaching hospital, and we had this one one doctor that would come into the neonatal unit, and he would come in, and he would stand in front of Liam and fold his hands and bow his head and say, he's very sick. Every single time he came in, he would do that. Like, I... I'm unaware. I felt like grabbing him by his lapels and rattling him. I'm almost surprised you didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I think what he was trying to say is uh, there's a high likelihood your child's going to die and get prepared for it. He's trying to prepare us. Prepare us. But it was really annoying to hear that because it's like, no Shakespeare. Right. He's really sick? Wow, I just thought this was all TV here. Really? Is that why he's that funny color? Whatever. Oh, yeah. There was the colors thing, too. Yeah. 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 That's that. 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 Because there's the visual element too. Like you said, there's tubes. There's. There's. I mean, coming monitors, from, heartbeats, respiration oh, yeah. rates. Coming from a sibling's perspective, I remember one of Liam's more um, dramatic uh, shunt malfunctions. Let's say that that was an exciting uh, experience. Really fun fact, at age five, I could identify all the critical symptoms of a shunt malfunction. Yes. Why? Because you have a very narrow window of time for which to get to a hospital from the onset of shunt malfunction to brain crushed against skull. Right. And so everyone in the family got to have a crash course in what to look for when someone is having a shunt malfunction. But right. I remember 
the best memory having we'll bring this up more with our next session uh that's going to actually be airing on december 2nd um but uh we there was a saving grace that came a little bit later in the form of a couple of doctors uh, one in particular that was particularly understanding and helpful dr ogata yeah so I'll never forget that man <laughs> amazing so we'll we'll dig into a lot more of that because we just want to mostly cover where we are up to here and this episode going up on November 3rd, I believe. Uh, we are recording it just before uh, October 30th, which is Liam and Nicholas's birthday. Right. So we're kind of trying to keep these as as, as temporally Timely. relevant. Correct. And I think, oh, I like you know, the reason we chose this time of the year to do this is because every fall... Um, it's almost like clockwork and it's something that we can't control that, yeah, it might be a seasonally affected disorder. Days are getting shorter. We also realize we're living through the time that we had the most stress that I've ever experienced in my life. Yeah. Indeed. And it lasted for, I mean, it lasted until today. But, <laughs> it's but never I mean, ended, really. The heavy duty stuff lasted for at least uh, three months until Liam came home. In the mm-hmm. hospital, yeah. and we'll yeah. talk about it later. But then he had to go back to the hospital shortly after that. <laughs> but I mean, there was it was an unbelievable amount of stress that I'm sure that anybody listening to this has their own story. And this isn't a contest of who has the greatest story because every one of them are unique. Every one of them are are um, filled with stress and filled with sorrow and grief and triumph. Um, it's just, it's a, it's a mixture of emotions that we don't normally talk about, but, um, we feel that it's important for us and for other parents that have gone through this type of trauma to be able to share it. Because what you find out when you do is that we're not strange. This is very, very common. And something for me as, you know, your son and as someone who has been heavily involved in Liam's life for my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, I I wasn't there. I didn't get to have, I mean, I don't, my first clearest well-defined memories are going to Kansas to help get his service dog when I was like six. <laughs> so before that, I have some disjointed memories, but nothing solid and coherent. So, I wasn't there for a lot of this. I don't remember most of it. I And also, for me, a lot of it's routine. Like, there was a period of time when Liam was in the hospital a lot. Oh, yeah, Liam's in the hospital again. He might die. <laughs> it, it's, it got to the point where, and I have some people who have been genuinely concerned because they'll ask me about stuff and I'll go, oh, yeah, well, when I get a phone call a certain time, I go, oh, gosh, is it Liam? Uh, uh, you know, but they expect me to be like, you know, Harvard, I'm just like, you know, oh, yeah, well, I've secretly expected a phone call for my entire life. <laughs> it's it's something that I perpetually have a bit of bracing for. Right. Um, and, at the ready. Yeah, at the ready for he's in the hospital. Something's going wrong. Something is going bad over here. But there's also something I've learned along the way and that you maybe got an image of in those first few days is that there are few people on this planet as tenaciously dedicated to somehow staying alive despite every odd being set against them as Liam. Correct. True. <laughs> I didn't know when I chose the name Liam, that was my choice, that 
the definition of it, I found out later, was determined one. Duh. Now, <laughs> as to the name thing, I like to end uh, a rather serious episode on a bit of a light point. Liam is spelled a little differently than in our world traditional spelling. <laughs> we may know of, you know, famous actors with the name Liam. Yes. Liam yes. Neeson. Uh, Hem, you know, there, there, there's, I, there's... I prefer to, to describe it as a Swedish spelling of an Irish name. In other words, Dad misspelled the name because he didn't understand what you were telling him. Lloyd is spelled with two L's. <laughs> That's all I got to say. And I thought that Liam was spelled with two L's because the last part of William, W-I-L-L-I-A-M, okay, it's short for William. So when I put it down as L-L-I-A-M, I wanted to correct it, and she says, no, what does Letta set? Because she'd have a story for the rest of her exactly. life. Yes, I do. But Liam cannot find a coffee mug with his name on it. True, he is forever left. Because nobody else has but a name. You the, know this. On the positive side. Yeah. He doesn't drink coffee. That's true. Yeah. Here's another interesting thing. This predates the whole let's give our kids a name with a weird spelling trend that happened like what, 12 years later? You guys yeah. set that trend. Yeah. You were like, mm, we did it first. Yeah. You get the weird name. No, so as a no, result, no. Liam no, has... no, no. Nana did it way okay. before I started yeah, any of Nana, this. Let's Nana look did. at Annie Aaron. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I will admit my my grandmother had a gift for Finding the uniqueness in a name, especially the way yours is spelled. Is well, a... you know, I got the male spelling of the name Carrie and bane of my existence until I finally got a clue and said, oh, thanks, Mom. Well, Carrie Grant was spelled C-A-R-E-Y, so you're Yeah, that's him. Okay, just saying. Question. Yeah. So when, like, you mentioned, you know, you mentioned Baby A Baby, what point did you have the names ready beforehand? Or did oh, yeah. you pick the names? Well, not not totally. Okay. We were still debating because I was well, only three six months, months out. I was three. I had three months to continue this battle. I wasn't ready. We weren't done with the battle. We and I didn't know if I was having boys or girls. So mm-hmm. we were still debating all manner of names. And another thing, okay, I have older siblings, and they were taking all the Irish names. There was not a lot left of the pickings. Okay, it was getting slim. There is a tradition in the family with many, many children. We try our very, very best to not repeat names because don't the, do it. It's you don't want to do the whole, you know, Jason, and then twelve people turn around. No, That's too not much good. work. Not good. Not Give good. everyone a different name. You like, open the thesaurus if you have to. Find a word. You know, just name exactly. them exactly. And so we were quickly running out of uh, Irish names. Um, and I ran across Liam, and I thought, oh, that is such a pretty name. It's just nice, and it works well with Johnson, Liam Johnson. Nice, wonderful. But then we had to attach another one with it, and so mm-hmm. it was like, you know, do we go with the same first letters? And I wasn't a big fan of that and you know so we were still going your dad really wanted martin and luther especially (laughs) since they were born on the 30th one should be martin one should be luther it's a reformation sunday come on work with me here people lutherans and i'm like who is that (laughs) i go back to my earlier shock that he went to a catholic event <laughs> right and i'm like oh I mean, my god and and note i i say this with all the love do her but didn't grandma always have a little bit of an issue that you'd married an irish catholic <laughs> my mother yes your grandmother howard wasn't as a matter of fact well, yeah 
to, to put a positive spin on it, I'd gotten to know uh, Florence Howard. Uh, her name was Nana pretty well because uh, we had uh, uh, several hours together one day in which I came over to the house and she was checking me out and I was checking her interviewed. out. He was interviewed. I was interviewed and I was interviewing. Okay. Yeah. And uh, he, he came... likes to add the second part to make it seem like he had control there. <laughs> well, I came to drop something off and I stayed for several hours and she poured several pots of coffee and we talked. And apparently she was reasonably impressed uh, because when we told um, the, my in-laws that we were engaged, she was completely delighted. And she said, oh, I was so afraid to tell you that I liked him because you would probably do the opposite and drop him. <laughs> so she had to wait till I uh, proposed first. And then, then she said she was thrilled. Yeah. I was her favorite son-in-law. He was. Yeah. Stevie. And actually, uh, Nana was a very ecumenical person, and so was I at that point, so I didn't see any differences, no. yes. really. No. But, um, yeah. Um, just a little bit. She had just a little bit. Oh, my mother. Steve. Yes. Okay. Oh, oh, yeah. My mother. mother was, uh, after the first date, she said, oh, my God, uh, what are you going to do? Uh, raise the kids Catholic? And I said, uh, we don't have any kids yet. What are you talking about? <laughs> I, I didn't quite understand it. Um, but it's not like that she was a... Uh, True. My grandmother was a very sweet person, and it never was something she would have held against it, but it was something that she would mention as a polite amount of grousing. The world she grew up in was very different. A yes. mixed marriage would have been a Protestant and a Catholic. Which mm-hmm. we were. Yeah. Uh, but that's not... Of course, in my world, you were in an other. So <laughs> oh, your mother didn't think that way. No, my mother didn't. But um, but I got to get back to the name. Uh, so Liam has had some interesting nicknames from that. People have called him Double L. Uh, of course, you have coined the third uh, Lord Liam, which is very apt because uh, he usually has control over the rest of us. Uh, staff. <laughs> we are staff. Yes, we are staff. He we is serve for his pleasure. Part of the absolute juggernaut of willpower that is Liam is his high imperiousness. He holds court. I have... I have seen people hold court, but none as effectively. And he none. does it non-verbally. No one can wield influence because I have seen him pull off some flexes that are impressive. With a total lack of ego. Zero. He will. He, no he ego involved in this. Has no issue. Maybe. He knows how to declare that he has absolute control yeah. in an area oh, yeah. and he can make everyone stop and respond to him. If he so wills it. And he'll do it just to prove he can. And then he'll be done. He'll leave. It's like, I have proven my point. I'm going back to my room now. Mm-hmm. You all can return to your meeting with slides without me. <laughs> You're all dismissed. It is an incredible thing. And people never believe me when they don't know it. And then they experience it and they're like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, this is what I grew up with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm certain we will have episodes that go into that. I know I already want to drag Are we have an episode around. about you? Because I could say Never. that as a child growing up. <laughs> Never. I am you, off You are limits. strong-willed number off two. Off limits. I am off limits. <laughs> I, I, I am not we'll to be brought we'll up. We'll see. We'll see. One last thing. Middle names. I know some of the story there. I know we have, uh, it was Nicholas Gunnard. Johnson. Yes. Yeah. And Liam Grant. Liam got the Liam got as you described it to me one time, the weird first name and then the normal middle name, <laughs> and then Stephen. you said Nicholas got the opposite. Yes, Nicholas then Gunnard. Yes, and Gunnard is from. 
It's a Swedish name. It was my, my father's middle name, Nils Gunnar Johnson. And Grant is? My middle name. Okay. And I asked my parents one time where they got the name Grant. And apparently one of them had a friend named Grant. They just liked the sound of the name. There was no special honorarium that goes along with it. Grant? Okay. So, well, Ulysses S., you know. Okay. <laughs> ah, I see the grandiosity doesn't uh, <laughs> go from nowhere in this, but. Sure, he was a drunken and inept president. So. <laughs> But he and, was a president. And yeah. yet a great general. But we can yes. talk about that in a different podcast. Yeah, that, that, that would be a different, different podcast. Different. Yeah. Get me going about history. I can tell you stories. Oh, but yeah. Oh, yeah. thank you guys for sitting down on this lovely October evening uh, mm-hmm. after a nice dinner. Uh, and we will do this again in probably about uh, you know a month's time. And what will the next one cover? Uh, the next one is going to cover the month of November. Okay. Okay. And it will be taking place on December 2nd, and we will discuss that a bit further, too, on December 2nd. Okay. So, we'll bring that particular date and everything up to that date up at that point in time. Sounds good. So, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank um, you. We're not going to have a chat cafe, because the chat cafe is right here. <laughs> so, we're just going to let you guys go. Hope you had a wonderful listening experience, and thank you for tuning in to Navigating Life as We Know thank It. Thank you. Hello. Abigail here, granddaughter and niece. We have our producer, the Dark Lord, also known as my uncle, Alex. We have our two hosts, Mima and Papa, but you may know them by Steve and Carrie, my grandparents. Now we had the woman behind the web services, my mother, Holly. Lastly, we had the lovely intern, Danella. Navigating Life as We Know It is produced by Envision Media Group, LLC.